Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, we have a special guest on the show, as I always say. Um, I met Andy at an event with one of my greatest, dearest friends, Kyle Depius. We are actually in Pinehurst, North Carolina. And from the time I met this guy, I just loved his energy. I loved his drive. I loved his curiosity. Just the questions that Andy asks are just amazing. So we're going to turn the table. I'm going to get to ask him questions, but I think you're just going to love his story, his background, and just the energy that he brings to the world. So Andy, thank you for being on the show. I'm excited, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate this. Yeah, it's going to be super. So um, you got a super interesting background. I'm excited to get into it. Love what you're working on today. But first and foremost, who's had the greatest impact on your life? Uh, I would definitely say, I know the cliche answer is my parents. Um, and I've, I've had this thought lately, Mike. I was listening to a podcast with Jesse Itzler. And it was a Tom Bilyeu podcast, Impact Theory, from, from a few years ago. And I probably didn't give my parents enough credit over the course of my, my life, but Jesse said something that blew my mind. He said, you know, if the average human lives to be 78 and your parents are 70, 72, it's easy to think you have six to eight years left with them, but you don't. Because if you see them only a couple times a year, like I do, you only have 12, 16 experiences left with them. Mm. And that really, that I've been, it still affects me. I listened to that podcast three weeks ago. Um, so I would have to say my parents and just the kindness and as humble, sometimes they're almost too humble and just how to treat a human being. I've never met two nicer people, man. That's so impactful the way that, you know, that was stated and just thinking about it, Kara and I, my wife and I, um, we do this exercise in our couples mastermind and we've got a spreadsheet where you, you put your age in it and then, and they don't know what they're going through. Right. So they put their age in the spreadsheet. And then they put their mom, their dad, their husband, their wife, their children, and the spreadsheet automatically calculates when you're 62, your mom's going to be 93 and your kids are going to be. And I've literally had, you know, at our couples mastermind earlier this year in, in January, we literally had somebody just start bawling. Like it just tore her up. Um, so I, I love that. I love that, uh, that perspective. It's so important. I don't think we it, can- it, it just, cause I, I live a thousand miles from my parents. And I see them probably twice a year. And my dad's 74 and my mom's 73. And it just, when I did the math after he said that, I was like, holy cow, I need to start seeing them more often. Wow. Yeah. So important. If you could narrow it down to one thing that has had the greatest impact on your success, what do you think that would be? Oh, hands down the, it's two in one, Mike. It's the ability to not care what others think about me and the ability to not be afraid of failing. I think for me, I, I spent too much of my life trying to be perfect, avoiding failure and being very intimidated by what others thought of me and just getting rid of those two limiting beliefs has done wonders for my, my business and my life. Wow. That's impressive. I love it. What was your greatest setback and what did you learn from it? You know, it's interesting that you, um, I, I'll, I'll share, if I can share the story, it was 2010 I was in a 
what you would classify as a bad car accident. I was actually hit by two semis. Wow. Um, however, I walked away with a shattered hand. So walked away very fortunate. <laughs> Could have been a lot worse. And at that time in my life, I had a job I didn't like. I was hanging around people who were probably not a good influence. And a month after the accident, my girlfriend broke up with me. Wow. And I will remember, I can never, I'll never forget this, Mike. Actually, it was, it was 2011. I take that back. 2011, July 2011, I was sitting at my desk at work and I literally was paralyzed, frozen. I couldn't do anything. And I remember I got up off my desk, literally drove to my parents' house, which was 20, 25 minutes away, sat out back in the backyard next to their pool and literally just stared off into space for three hours. I couldn't do anything. I was like, you, you define rock bottom. That was my rock bottom. And I made a promise to myself at that point, nobody is, nobody is responsible for me right now. Nobody cares what I'm doing right now. Nobody even gives a crap where I am right now. Let's go have some fun in life. And when I shifted that perspective of everything is a choice in life, nobody is doing anything to you. It's when I found my dream job that changed my career. It's when I met Amy. It's when all of a sudden what was so wrong with my life became what was so right with my life. And it was that perspective of, dude, everything's a choice. In that moment, I was frozen because I thought everybody was doing everything to me. That's so amazing to me. So I just have a quick question. Like, did, did you realize at that point in time, that process you were going through or, or is this something that you decompressed after? Decompressed, I would even say a few years later. I, in the moment, you don't know what's going through. Like I even go back to that summer after that day, sitting at the pool, I had the best summer of my life. Nobody knew where I was. Nobody cared where I was. I wouldn't have fun. I was traveling every weekend. I was just enjoying life. But it was that perspective of you have a choice. You can literally sit here and do nothing else the rest of the summer, heck, the rest of your life and blame everything. Or you can have a different perspective and realize this is your chance to go have the time of your life. And I think when my energy shifted, Mike, that's when it opened the opportunity of that job that changed my career, meeting Amy, that who I'm still with today. It's, it's that shift in perspective. Nobody owes you crap. Nobody does anything to you. It's all on how you choose to perceive it and the choices you make. Wow. That's amazing. I love it. What is the single piece of advice that you find yourself sharing the most? Just show up every day. I think I'm a big, big believer at the cliche of what's your superpower, right? For me, it's consistency. Um, I think the people that I admire, Mike, you, the guys we hung out with at in Pinehurst, um, the people we know in our circles that are out killing it, what is the one thing I think that ties all of them together? It's their ability to show up every day. Wow. Don't take, yeah, any, play, don't take any plays off. That's awesome. Were you, uh, were you kind of born that way or is this something that you're getting your ass handed to you over time? It, you just I would say it's it's – it's a st part of the story I can share with you. I mean, my story of what I'm doing today really started in 2014. Amy and I decided to move out to Colorado. And what's funny, Mike, is we moved in May of 2014. Now, if you go back to February of 2014, something really important happened in the state of Colorado. And that was they were the first state to legalize marijuana. Mm. So we got a lot of crap for moving in May of 2014, but that was not why we moved. But when I moved out here, you know, I spent my career in insurance. I went to work for an insurance agency where, you know, I'm supposed to sell for them. They have no marketing. I'm now in a market. Nobody knows who I am. So I had to build a personal brand. And where I started building a personal brand was self-development. 
Mm-hmm. And it was in that self-development where I really realized what it meant to show up every day. So to answer your question, no, it took quite a while for me to get there. I was not born with that. Awesome. So I want to go, I want to go way backwards and I'm going to let you take us wherever you want to go. Cause your story is super interesting. We're obviously going to get to what you're doing today. You just brought up, you know, some of it about building a personal brand in the insurance space. And it's interesting because you know, there's a scripture in the Bible that talks about like, I was born for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. And, and I have these glimpses in these periods of time in my life where I just really feel that like, I'm like, man, I was born for this. Um, and I think, you know, you and I were having a conversation before, uh, before we started recording the show on, you know, just the personal brand and what that means. And, you know, all of my listeners know that I think it's super important that you have a personal brand. Everything has changed so much in the last 12 months, 24 months, even five years, like things are exponentially changing. And you mentioned having a, you know, just showing up to Colorado and having to build the personal brand and everything else, which I think is super important. I know we're going to get into that because every space, every person needs to build a personal brand in my opinion, but uh, the space that you're in super important, easiest way to reach people and also, you know, build credibility, but take us where you want to go. So do you want to, you want to go way back to where you came from your background yeah, no, I, I, you know, it's funny because you talk about where I've been and what it's led up to, to what I do today. Um, to me, it's been about being on stage, Mike. You know, it's, when you just said, you know, when is it you feel you're alive, you're in the flow? For me, it's on stage. Um, public speaking has been a huge asset in my career. Um, I do it today. Uh, I feel like I'm always speaking when I'm coaching because you're always on stage in one way, shape, yeah. or form, right? But I go back to really where, you know, the story a lot of people know about my past is baseball. And when you're a pitcher, guess what? You're standing on stage. Yeah. Because when the ball's in your hand, that game can't move forward until you throw that baseball. All eyes are on you. Wow. And so I look back at my baseball career and it's very, very simple. I won't go into all the details, but, you know, Mike, I'm the definition of average. You know, we talked about my parents. I grew up in the average family of America. I never had a rough childhood. I don't have the rags to riches story. I had an easy life as a kid, truth be told. But there was always one place I excelled on the baseball field. And that allowed me the opportunity to play at the Division I collegiate level, which after a a successful second half of my career in college, because honestly, my first half was terrible, it gave me the opportunity to sign as a free agent and pitch in the Milwaukee Brewers organization. So allow me to play professional baseball. And I'm a five foot nine pitcher who weighed 170 pounds at that time. And I barely touched 90 miles per hour. I would not be what you call an intimidating presence who threw an overpowering fastball. You look at the guys today, they're all throwing 97, 98. And so here's where the story gets really interesting. Oh, Andy, you should feel great. You overcame the odds five foot nine. You know, you're not, how did you make it to that level? It's all the work I put in off the field. Mm. However, when I got to pro baseball, I got away from a lot of the stuff that made me so good. Mike, when you're playing pro sports, number one, it is so easy to get caught up in comparison because mm. you're being compared every day. And in minor league baseball, you can be compared to your teammates because you're all trying to get promoted. Wow. And the number one way all athletes are compared is what? Stats. You can't hide from your stats. Yeah. There's the fear of failure. I was a free agent. In baseball, in the minor leagues, I get one failure to the top prospects, nine. I get one shot. And then the judgment, because they're constantly judging your performance. And so those three factors, Mike, I let get to me. 
And that's what ultimately led my baseball, pro baseball career to be as short as it was. Now, fast forward. That impacted 10 to 12 years of my business career. Judgment, comparison, fear of failure. We move out here. And it was like a new chapter started for me. In that journey of self-development, I realized, man, failure's good. I realized, who cares what other people think about what I do and how I do it? I don't let others judge me. I still judge myself from time to time, but I'm still getting better at not judging my own actions. But all of those mental mind shifts, Mike, have gotten me to the point where I am today, where I now coach advisors. And the part, the one part that has elevated my career is when I realized what my gift is, it's the public speaking, it's the standing on stage. I said, I know why I love it. It's no different than standing on the mound with the ball in my hand. This, wow. I only have a microphone in my hand now. Yeah. And so- that's really my story is being on stage. It's why I, I, when I work with insurance advisors, I tell them my job is to get you to shine on screen on stage and social media. You need to stand up and step up on stage if you want to be seen. Wow. I love it. So you were talking about like stats and comparison and all that. And it's interesting because where my brain was going, um, you know, Kara and I work with a lot of, um, you know, like I said, we've got the couples mastermind and I work I work with a lot of business owners and that kind of stuff too. And the personal brand side of this comes up a lot. And I know you work on a lot of that with your wealth advisors and stuff, but when you were talking about comparison, that's something that I see that comes up a lot in, in this world too. So how is that correlated and translated? Let me give you a really recent example. As a coach, it is very easy to compare yourself to my peers, others who are coaching, other business owners, you and I both know together. And here I am with a coaching business and I see them in a different industry with a business hitting seven figures. And I'm like, why am I not hitting seven figures? And it was interesting. I just sat down and had a conversation with uh, Kyle, who you mentioned. And he said something to me that was so impactful. And this is the getting rid of the comparison. He said, Andy, said, you know something? I'm not impressed with numbers at all. I'm not impressed with somebody hitting six figures in one month or somebody having a seven figure business. My question is this. What are they taking home? And I said, do you, he said, do you realize you can have a $400,000 coaching business that brings more home than somebody with a $2 million product-based business? So true. And right there, I was like, boom. Yeah. I was like, what am I comparing myself to? Yep. And yeah. so that to me on the business side, I think as an entrepreneur, it's easy to get caught up in the stats of, oh, somebody had a six-figure month. This person's hitting seven figures. Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Compared to what? Compared yeah, I, to what? <laughs> yeah. I love that you brought that back together, you know, the, the stats and the comparison, because it's such a problem. And, you know, my brain goes to an old saying that I heard, you know, never compare your year one to somebody else's year 20, which is true when it comes to wisdom, experience, knowledge. And then I have a mentor too, who talks about collapsing timeframes, you know, basically the concept of standing on the shoulder of giants. So my brain is always going between those two parallels. Like, I don't want to compare myself to anyone else, but at the same time, like I don't have to go through the 20 years of shit they went through either. But at the end of the day, what you said that is so important there is the stats, like, yep. um, and not comparing our, our stats to someone else's, but just knowing our stats. And I work through this a lot and I'd love your opinion on this for me, the driver. And I have a simple formula that starts with, what do you really want? It's not even a formula. It's freaking five questions. What do you really want? Why do you want it? And what are you going to do to get it? But really, what do you want? And why do you want it? It's it, th there's no comparison in that. It has nothing to do with anybody else. 
Well, and I, I'm glad you said that because often I have to remind myself why I started the coaching business. It's three things. I want financial freedom. I want schedule flexibility and I want geographic mobility. I want Amy and I to be able to live wherever we want. And there's weeks, you know, where you get caught up and you're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I'm going through right now, Mike, you know, I'm fortunate that I I hit my goal of reaching the number of one-on-one clients that I'd like to have. I have room. I think I have room for more, but guess what I'm violating right now? I'm violating the rule of schedule flexibility Uh, because now be careful what you wish for. I've got the clients I want, but now it's like I have in some ways on some days an eight to five job again. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with you. What do you want and why do you want it? I mean, you have to start there because I think so many people shoot for this number, this revenue number. And it's like, why? What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I love, I love this conversation and where it evolves too. And this is why Kara and I always have a coach. I know you're, you know, always... Um, looking for mentors and involved. That's pretty much how we met. Right. Um, But that's why that's so important too, because, you know, as we're coaching, it doesn't mean we have it all figured out and we get stuck. And just like you're saying right now, like you've reached your goal. One of my mentors always used to say, the only way I can help you is, is when you're stuck, I need you getting stuck. If you're not getting stuck, you don't need me. And I'm like, what I just heard you say was like, you've hit this, you hit this thing and now you're stuck and you got to just figure out what's that next level and I love the transparency because that's where the victory is for not only you and I, but for those that are listening, realizing that, you know, with everything you've learned and the success you've achieved, and it's still an evolutionary process, right? And you're going to get stuck and you have to figure out the next level. Well, and I'll share this with you because it'll be super helpful, I think, for your listeners. So October last year, right before we met, I was down to three one-on-one clients. Because I just lost a contract, uh, somebody had hired me to coach several clients. They got acquired, and part of the acquisition, they had to let go of all their outside contractors. So I, I lost some clients. I was down to three. That's right when I signed up for Kyle's event. I hired a coach, um, and here I am, six, seven months later, now hitting, you know, at fifteen. And I, I, I've, I'm so blessed. But at the same time, you hit, you hit that new level, new devil, right? And you hit that ceiling of, well, that's great, but now time is a problem energy is a problem. If I'm coaching 15 one-on-one clients, how do I maintain that energy every single week? And just the other day I woke up and I said, I've got to compress time. What can I do to compress time? What can I do to be coaching these folks in less time, same amount of money? And you know, where my head went right when I thought that Mike is, you know, live events are starting to come back. I was doing live workshops with, with the agencies before COVID hit. I was doing this and this. So now I'm already in that mindset of what can I be doing to compress time? To me, how do I go do a one-day workshop instead of coaching this person over the course of 90 days? One day, same, uh, same content, same impact gives me more time versus the one-on-one model I'm in today where you've got 15 people almost every single week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So what, uh, what, what are some of the things that you're working through to kind of transition some of those, navigate some of that? Uh, you're, you're talking to me as I'm going through it. So uh, uh, nice, a nice. mutual friend of ours helped me create that clarity, uh, Jackie Service. And um, yeah, it's just a matter of shift. It's, it's one, how am I marketing my coaching business at this point moving forward to really market more of that group coaching, live coaching 
versus the one-on-one ongoing type of coaching. It's having conversations with existing clients to say, Hey, you know, what would you think of going with more of a, what if I came out and spent a day with you versus the one-on-one we do every single week? So it's, it's, it's going to require some tough conversations, yeah. but at the same time, it's what I know I have to do so that I can do what I love. Here's the best way to say it, Mike. I know what I do. I love, mm-hmm. I know what I do works. Mm-hmm. It's how I'm doing it right now. I love it. That's creating the schedule inflexibility yeah. and energy or mental exhaustion. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you being so transparent. And it's reminding me of a conversation I had with my coach. Um, I think it was just this week on Monday. And he was talking about, he gave me this parallel. Uh, he was talking about the three different energies, creation, transformation, and completion. There's basically three energies, right? And I'm a creator at my core. So I'm always like, anyway, this is somewhat irrelevant, but the fact that I'm a creation uh, person, there's different phases that we go through and we all do it. But he gave me this analogy of like Mario Brothers. He's like, did you ever play Super Mario Brothers? I'm like, yeah, of course. Like who didn't play Super Mario Brothers, right? And he's like, were you the kind of person that, you know, would go back and play the game over and, and I play, would play it over and over just because it was fun. But the reality is I looked forward to the next level. Like I wasn't the person that would go back and be like, oh, I only got 50 coins on this level and I know there's a hundred, right? I'm like, I want to play the next level. I want to beat the game. And he was giving me this like parallel and I appreciate your, your openness because I think some people, you know, want to just go backwards and play the game better. And then some people want to just keep playing this level over. And then some people want to just keep progressing to the next level. And that's where you're at. You're like, you've beat this level and now you've got to figure out how to get like, just kind of to the next level and master that next, um, that next round. Right. And I just thought it was such an interesting parallel. That is, you know, and I, I, this is going to be totally off the subject, but I'm with your listeners. I think they're going to appreciate this. You know where my head went when you said that, did you ever play the game Contra as a kid? Yeah, totally. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, yeah. BA. Like, again, yeah. guys remember that code for 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. I remember a buddy of mine and, a co- and I in college would play that game every single day. And our goal was to see how quickly we could finish the game. Mm-hmm. And we played it till the point we finished it, Mike, the entire game. Talk about going new levels, new levels. Yeah. We literally played the entire game and finished it in like 11 and a half minutes. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So awesome. maybe, maybe that's one of my shortfalls. I want to play the game as quickly as possible and get it over with. Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, worst case scenario, we start over and try it again, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like, it's fine. But um, you're absolutely yeah. right. I think there's, and I see that with insurance advisors, the living in comfort, you know, this level, it's good. It's not great, but it's not painful either. Mm. So there's no need for me to go try that next level. I'm good here. Yeah. And I am on a mission with the coaching. Um, and that's why you have a coach guys like you, women, like, you know, like us who think like us have coaches. You want that next level. I want to find those advisors, those financial planners who are like, I get it. I'm doing well, but I know there's more. Yeah. And I think like what I was going to say, if I could just say this quick, sorry. No, it's all good. It all goes back to the failure. What drives me every single day is probably the, the failure I had at pro baseball, in pro baseball, because if you were to say, Andy, I need you to break down the reason you only lasted two years in pro baseball into one sentence, it's because I didn't live up to my full potential. Mm. And I want to find people. I, I want to lead by example, number one, as somebody today who is waking up every freaking day, leading by example, trying to fulfill and reach my full potential. 
And I want to go find those financial advisors, those insurance advisors that are out to do the same. Yeah. They're out there. Yeah. And they know there's always more. They know that, hey, I'm good. I'm not great. I can be better. That's who I want to attract. You know, we're usually kind of, other than people's background and specifically what they do, I'm usually kind of a generalist, but I would like to actually just go, let's go specific because- what I just heard you saying, I think that if we have a conversation specifically about the wealth advisors, I mean, obviously I don't have a podcast that's geared toward wealth advisors. Um, in fact, I, I would, I would probably say that a lot of wealth advisors, you know, I wouldn't say they're turned off by, you know, but I don't spend a lot of time talking about wealth, the standard wealth advisor stuff, but let's go there. Let's talk about specifically who you're looking for, what that looks like, what that process is, because I think what you do and even the mindsets that you were just talking about in any, uh, I guess, any vertical, it's exactly the same. Yeah. It's when it comes to marketing, branding, and I, by no means I call myself an expert. I'm not. But what I was able to do for myself seven years ago, Mike, when I moved out to Colorado, I said, okay, nobody knows who I am. I'm in a market, a new market. I've got to have one hell of a message. I've got to be able to share that message far and wide and share it more than any of my competitors. I have to create exponential awareness. Now I can try to do that by picking up the phone and smiling and dialing every day, but I hated that. The whole reason I built my brand is I wanted to avoid cold calling. Yeah, that makes sense. But I said, wait a second. If I can get on LinkedIn and become really good at posting content and sharing content, I can get thousands of eyeballs on that at one time. Yeah. If I build up an email list that provides quality content, I can email hundreds of people at one time. Yeah. If I can get on stage, I could speak to 50, 100, 200 people at one time. That's a hell of a lot better than picking up the phone call one person at a time. Totally. And so that's what I went and set about building. And Mike, when I look at the two industries we've been mentioning, insurance and financial planning, quite frankly, they are way behind the times when it comes to branding and marketing. Yep. To them, it's still about the prettiness of the marketing, not what it says. Yeah. And so really, if, if people ask what you do for a living, Andy, it comes down to this. I help advisors shine on screen, on stage, on social media, because we do business this way now, right? There's mm -hmm. this virtual thing ain't going away. No. So you got to shine there. You got to shine on stage, whether that's a speaking stage or in the boardroom presenting, and yeah. you got to shine on social media today. Yeah. That's where marketing has changed. And the number one thing I stress to advisors and the agencies they work for Advisors do not rent the logo of the company they work for. The company is renting that advisor's personal brand. Wow. That's, that's brilliant. You know, and I can't take credit for that. That's from a good buddy of mine, but it's true. It's the truth. Yeah. If you are an agency, a financial advising firm, you are renting the brand of every single sales rep you have because people aren't buying the business because of your logo. They're buying it because they love the person that works for you. Yeah. I, I love that. And for our listeners, you know, don't tune out on us just because you're not a wealth advisor, because what Andy's talking about right now in this conversation applies to, like it applies to everything. Absolutely. And I'm sitting on the other side of this. Um, and I'm sitting here thinking about, I'm not a dumb guy. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm just really good at, you know, identifying opportunities and, and leveraging people and rallying the troops. And there's a few things that I'm good at, but I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And actually, Every wealth advisor that I've ever worked with, like, I feel like the office is hot. My eyes get sticky. I go cross-eyed because I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. 
and I'm going somewhere with this. And I think what you're doing is super valuable. Um, and again, we all need to be doing this, not just wealth advisors, but I think it's super valuable because you know what I want in a wealth advisor? I want someone that I can trust. I just want someone that can give me the 30,000 foot overview that I'm going to build a long-term relationship with and is just going to take care of me and translate something in a way that I can understand it. Because I don't want to spend you know, a big percentage of my life, not even a small percentage of my life, trying to understand life insurance and you know, wealth planning and all that. I've got businesses to run. I've got funds that I'm running. I've got deals to be had. I've got relationships to be. And I'm sitting here thinking about this. When I go backwards at every wealth advisor I've ever worked with, um, and I'm working with one now who have, I've actually built a great relationship with over a couple of years before he even asked me um, to come sit down at his office. Like he's, he's playing the slow game, right? Which I think is brilliant. And I love it because we became friends first and I trust him. And basically if he said, you know, dot the I here and cross the T, I would probably do that. But what I think is brilliant about what you're doing, if he could also leverage his personal brand, he wouldn't have to spend maybe two years with me on a personal level, the amount of time and money and energy that he's invested. I think, I don't think he did it because he wanted my, my insurance plan. I think he did it because he's a good guy and we're, we're good friends. But if you could, how do you scale that? Like build your personal brand and yeah. tell me stories, like help me understand it. Yeah. And you, you just answered the question, this, this advisor you work with today, it's because you know him mm-hmm. because you know him, you started liking him and because you like him, now you can trust him, right? With sales is a game of new hope. Who knows you likes you and trusts you. What I'm trying to do, Mike, especially in the insurance and financial planning industry, I'm trying to unwind what's been screwed up for so long. Think about this. Most advisors get in the business. Why? Not because they're passionate about it. Somebody sold them the dream that if you stay around long enough, you'll make a ton of money and golf three days a week. Mm. So first, it goes back to what you asked a few minutes ago. Why do you even do what you do? Many of them can't answer that question. Yeah. But to your point... If you focus all of your time on getting people to know you and like you and trust you, in some cases, even before they have ever met you, yeah, it is game over. And there is not a better place to do that right now than on something like social media. Yeah, I work with advisors who are now going out on LinkedIn, Mike, because that's the business to business platform. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to share their life with the audience. Mm. stories about their life that teach them lessons that they can use to teach the audience lessons. And you know what's happening? Mm. It's not content around, I'm your insurance expert and I'm your finance. No, no, no. They're just letting people get to know them. And you know what's happening? Prospects are reaching out and they're going, wow, I feel like I already know you. Yeah. Yeah. Versus having to spend two years trying to get people to like you and know you Mm-hmm. The way that you can build trust with somebody now can happen faster than it's ever happened. But here's the key, Mike. You have to become a master storyteller. Yeah. You want to become efficient on social media. You want to become efficient on stage, on screen. All the areas I coach, stop selling product, mm-hmm. start selling stories. Yeah. Yeah. People I- emotionally connect to stories. And when they emotionally connect to stories, they emotionally connect to you. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is like some of our listeners might be thinking, well, I'm not a storyteller. Yeah, yeah, you are. Like even the introvert of introverts, when they're sitting around with their friends, like we're all just telling stories. We're talking, we're in a really, it's part of us. We might have to farm it out and figure out how to structure it. But a little on that note, like that resonates with me so much because I was at a, 
I was at a birthday party like four weeks ago. Um, and the same guy that I was talking about that's become a good friend, he had one of the advisors that works, I think in his, I think he manages the office, but one of the advisors that's there was, uh, that works there was at the party. And I got to talking to this guy and he owns like 45 rental properties. I'm a big fan of real estate. And, you know, a lot of times those are, they're at odds in the conversation piece. Not that they're at odds in its generality, but a lot of times wealth advisors are not talking, hey, you should go talk to this guy that runs a real estate fund. These guys are different. Like they want what's in the best interest of their client. And I like, that's cool. So I start talking to this guy and he's got, I can't remember the number, about 35 rentals or something. And I'm listening to this guy. When you were talking about, you know, doing business with people you know, like, and trust and building your personal brand and telling stories. If that guy was on LinkedIn and he was just talking about his real estate portfolio and his personal philosophies, I talked to this guy for two hours about the economy and what he believed and his rentals and how he got started in rentals in college. And I was so intrigued by this. And then all of a sudden, like if I'd been following that guy, even, even me, who's a real estate guy and I, like I would, if I find out like six months later that he's a wealth advisor, I'd be like, oh, wow, I really like this guy. So the point that you're making of like just sharing stories and telling our life and that's what people want. They don't want to hear your next, you know, new plan that uh, Mass Mutual or whatever has come out with. Who cares? Well, and it's storytelling is what makes very complex issues, aka insurance and financial planning in my world, yeah. very simple to understand. Yeah. And think about this, Mike, when you and I grew up, we had channels four, 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 what was it? Four, six, and 12, 10, 18, depending on where you lived, right? You had the yeah. old turn dial and you had like five TV stations that played all programming. Yeah. Look where TV is today. Look where Netflix is today. Why does Disney have their own channel? Why does Paramount have their own channel? They want you exclusively tuning into their channel. Yeah. Every person who is growing a business needs to create their own channel. Wow. Now, it doesn't have to be TV, but my point is you want your prospects tuning into you. Wow. That's personal brand to me. Yeah. When you create a community, you create a channel mm -hmm. that your prospects want to tune into. Yeah. And so you literally take wealth advisors and just kind of teach them how to build their personal brand to, to get eyeballs that then they yep. can at some point in time have some kind of real conversation, not just people walking into a cold office. So here's a great, two great examples if I can share them. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a storyteller, so I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm going to go into stories. No, let's do one, it. one was, well, one was a, an event that happened to me where I've been public speaking, Mike, for five years. I would always share stories about my baseball career, but then, I, but then they would tie into health insurance because that's what I was doing for a living. And then at the end of the talk, like some people would come up, but there wasn't really much interaction afterwards. I'm like, what the heck? I thought that was a good talk. Why aren't people excited? And then in like 2018, I was giving a, a talk at a state association conference and I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm actually going to focus my story on why I failed in baseball, not share all the fun stories. I'm going to talk about why I failed. And so I got up on stage, talked about my journey to pro baseball, but then I talked about everything I just mentioned earlier, the comparison, the judgment, the fear of failure, the mindset failures I had in pro baseball. And guess what happened? Wow. For the first time in my speaking career, I had people hugging me afterwards. Why? I now connected with them. Everybody has failed in their mindset. Yeah. And so number one, when you're able to share content and storytell that gets people to go, this dude's just like me, yeah. that is how you create connection with prospects. Number two, to your point about advisors putting themselves out there. I have a client 
that eight, nine months ago, Mike said, I know I need to be on LinkedIn, but I think it's a waste of time. I said, okay, I'll prove you wrong. Comes through my academy. As of, as of January, he and, he and his teammates build a brand between each other. They start producing content. They're now going into prospecting meetings, no lie. And the person bringing them in, whether it's the CFO or the HR director, is really, literally introducing them as CB squared, which is what their brand is. <laughs> you talk about brand recognition and yeah, getting somebody yeah. to know you and like you. They're getting introduced into meetings yeah. as their brand. And now they're winning business they, they've never dreamed of before because people know them and they like them, which makes mm-hmm. it so much easier to get their trust. Yeah, man, so good. You know, there's, a, there's one of my one-on-one clients who's probably going to end up listening to this episode. So um, I got to tell it exactly like it happened. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but this guy's name's Ben and he had been listening to my podcast for like a year and he reached out to me on my community app, the text app. And I was in this period of time, I feel so bad because I'm usually really responsive and my follow through is usually great. And um, I, I was in this, I had a bunch of stuff going on. This was probably like two months ago. And I was kind of dropping the ball on him, like not responding. I, I was in between assistance, like all kinds of stuff. And so I'm dropping the ball and he just stayed with it, man. He was like, he kept coming. And so finally I got a call scheduled with him after like three or four weeks of going back and forth, dropping the ball on him. I get on a call a discovery call just to see if I thought I could help him and vice versa. And I'm like sitting here, you know, we're, we're talking and we're gelling. And what I didn't realize, like he was ready to go. And I was, I was just, he's kind of like a somber guy. You can't really read him, you know? So we get like toward the end of the call and I'm like, well, Ben, do you want to schedule another time? And he's like, well, if you think I'm not a good fit, then sure. But he's like, Mike, I feel like I know you. I've been listening to you for a year I've been following your podcast. I've been watching you on Instagram. He's like, I actually literally feel like I know you. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, that's like the CB squared thing, right? Like I, I totally missed the boat, but it also clicked what my thesis had been for so long. Like you just show up and give your truth and people feel like they know you. Well, and you share a great point about podcasting because let's be honest, if the goal is to create exponential awareness for your brand, speaking, social media, podcasting, webinars. Those are all ways to do it, right? Here's the, the one number one thing. And I took, I learned this from Gary Vee by listening to him. What I see too many advisors and health insurance advisors especially do with podcasting is they'll create a podcast and all they talk about is health insurance. Mm. Nobody cares. Yeah, totally. If you would take the podcast and make it a podcast, that's all about your prospects where all you do is come on, bring them on, interview them about their business your business would exponentially grow one because you made it all about them Mm -hmm. and you're not even talking about insurance. You're the one hosting the party for them, which ultimately gets them to know you like you. And guess what? They're going to do business. That's anybody who's interested when I work with them, that's interested in doing a podcast. I tell them hands down, do not do a podcast. You're a subject matter expert about. Yeah. Do a podcast that highlights your prospects. Yeah. That's so good. And you know, I actually struggled with that, Andy. And I think this will be, relevant, not only to my audience, but to the people that you coach and just kind of piggybacking on that for two years, um, a very, very smart guy that we work with that I owe a lot to, I mean, he's a marketing genius when it comes to raising capital, they do a lot of stuff for us, just a genius. He tried to convince me for like two years to launch a podcast, start building my personal brand. And I didn't get it. And what I was stuck on Andy, and it took me a while to figure this out. I didn't want to talk to, so my avatar 
in the fundraising world is high net worth, doctors, lawyers, W-2 earners, wealth advice, high income earners, right? Accredited investors. I did not resonate with the message of showing up talking about the Wall Street beast and, uh, you know, an alternate to Wall Street and, you know, just talking about money all the time. Like, I didn't resonate with that. I struggled for two years to get moving. And then finally, when I said, one day, literally, literally, Andy, I said, I woke up and I said, you know what? I have to do this, but I have to do it a way that's true to me. What do I want to talk about? And I just kind of created some content pillars around things that matter to me, mindset, passive income, family, you know, just the five pillars that were most important to me, relationships. I, I literally built it around that. And I launched the investing for freedom podcast. And I've had so many people ask me, Andy, Mike, what do you even do? And I'm like, perfect. Because I didn't launch the investing for freedom podcast so that I could raise a whole bunch of money. I launched the investing freedom for podcast or investing for freedom podcast so that I could build genuine, authentic relationships and have real conversations. Well, and you know, what's going to, the natural result that's going to be is you're going to end up raising a lot of money because you're doing it the right way. Mm -hmm. And, and what you just said, couldn't have been more true. It's, you know, it's never about you. It's if you make everything you do with your content about your audience, good things will always happen. And I think about like, why aren't when, even when I lay the blueprint out for somebody and they don't do it, Mike, it's, it's for a couple reasons, insecurity, they're too worried about judgment and the opinion and comparison from others. But if you just, and it's the patience, it's if you're willing to be patient to build a brand, cause it does not happen overnight, you will, you will create a business you can never dream of. Now, here's the, here was the eye opener for me, Mike. And this is where I want to stress the most important thing of personal brand. If you have a personal brand, you can never fail. Here's why. If you tried to start your own business, you have yours, I have mine. We've got personal brands. Mike, if your business fell flat on its face, because you have that brand, there is always somebody who's going to want Mike's brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if, if worst case scenario happened and you lost all your businesses, there is somebody out there that wants Mike on their team, is going to help Mike make it happen. You literally can never fail at that point. Mm-hmm. as long as you got brand. And this goes back to in the insurance industry. I see too many advisors hiding behind their company's logo. They have zero brand. Mm-hmm. So nobody knows them. If they ever wanted to go out on their own, they have no brand to build off of. Yeah. They are literally just hiding behind a logo and it's helping their business go nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's such an important point too, because like, as we've built the personal brand, I mean, I've got my community text list. I've got my Instagram list and all this stuff, those, those are my people. Those are not, you know, mass mutuals people. I'm just picking on mass. Cause I don't, I don't even know why, but you know, those are my people. Like yep. those are, those are my relationships. Um, yep. And it's funny because we we started out show talking about comparison and, you know, six figure earners and all this stuff. And I didn't on uh, the power of the personal brand. I didn't start the personal brand so I could be a coach or so that I could, you know, launch the mastermind or so that I could raise capital. I just wanted to add value. Yep. But what was interesting, you know, you asked the question, if your business failed, what would happen or nothing because you have a personal brand. So when Kara and I finally decided to launch our couples mastermind, which we did like half heart, not not half hearted, half asked um, at, at the end of last year. So I didn't sell a penny until this year in my personal brand, like nothing. 
this year we decided to do a couples mastermind and I decided to do one-on-one coaching and with no, like, like we didn't, we threw this stuff together, like multiple, multiple, multiple six figures, just because I have a personal brand. And I've never even said that out loud. Like, cause it's not about the six figures for me. It isn't even about that. It's about adding value, showing up and doing what we're passionate about. And Kara and I want to help couples. And this has been the funnest thing we've ever done. I've yep. built businesses. I've exited. I've had, I've had multiple, like I've had an eight figure valuation exit and doing this couples mastermind making six figures is the funnest thing I've ever done. And so it's not really about the money. It's about just doing what you're passionate about. And I love the way that you said that um, you build a personal brand. You can take it with you anywhere because it's your people. Exactly. And that's, it's, it, you just hit the nail on the head is exactly why you were able to create a six figure opportunity by throwing something at the wall. It's because <laughs> your brand already existed. People already were in love with your brand. So Gary V says it so well, and I'm going to steal the line from him. When you have a brand that brings so much value to your audience, which means you are giving without wanting a damn thing in return, mm. you literally guilt them into doing business with you. Mm. So when Mike, you and Kara came out and said, we're going to do a couple's a mastermind, I'm going to do some one-on-one coaching. Those people were already bought in because mm. of your brand. Yeah. Well, and it's what's nice too. And I heard you say this earlier about the CEO and CB squared with your wealth advisors, or again, anybody that's listening, when you build your personal brand, it's the opposite of what we're used to with cold calling. We got to make a thousand calls in order for somebody to raise their hand and say, yes, with building a personal brand, the people that want to say yes, raise their hand. And it's like such a, if they want to interact with me, I literally was Last night I was, um, there was a guy that I, I know pretty well that I follow. And there was a guy that was just like pissing on him on social media. And, and the guy literally responded to him. He said, dude, if you don't like what I'm saying, hit the unlike button, like, please stop following me. And I love, that's what I love about social media. And you know, like for your, well, it's, it's backwards. We don't have to make a thousand calls. We just have to show up, be true to our message. And then the people that want to talk to us are going to put their hand up. And that's the last piece of advice I want to probably leave with that conversation, Mike. If I told you how many times I asked an advisor, financial or insurance, who your ideal client is, and they said, anyone who's willing to say yes to me, I'd be a rich man. You cannot be all things to all people. Why would you want to build? I would rather have a half million dollar insurance agency with clients I absolutely love versus a million dollar agency with clients that frustrate the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. Once you know who your ideal client is and you just go tell their story over and over and over again, guess who's going to raise their hand? Yeah. That type of client. Yeah. And so your point is so well made. I sucked at cold calling, but that's the only way we were taught to go get business. Go ask, go get, go get, go get. When you have a brand, you bring value, you put it out there. Guess what starts happening? Mm. They come to you. Yeah. And that is a fun place to be. Wow. That's okay. That's what happened to you and Kara when you started the mastermind and your one-on-one coaching. Yep. Now all of a sudden you finally made an ask, which is my coaching and the mastermind and they were already ready to go. Yeah. So true. One last question. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, this exists in every, I keep running into this. Um, people have all these reasons why they shouldn't build a personal brand, like all these excuses. And I get the, I get, you know, they're the fearful, you know, I'm scared to get in front of, we all are. And, and if you look at Gary V's first videos versus today, 
we all have to show up messy. So that's not, I'm going to set that aside. That's not even a good excuse. None of us want to show up, but what are some of the things that you run into um, on a regular basis of like why people don't. And I, I apologize if you hear my that's dog fine. barking. Um, insecurity. They know they should build a brand. They're too afraid what people might say. To them. It seems like a lot of work. And I think a lot of people, especially in sales are still looking for the overnight hack. Mm-hmm. Building brand takes time. And it's just that fear of failure and judgment might take somebody with the biggest ego, a lot of confidence, but you said, let's go build a brand. I'm telling you right now, the insecurities start coming bubble up because you've got to be able to put yourself out there. There's a lot of self-promotion. No one's going to toot your horn. That was the biggest thing I had to come over. No one's tooting the horn for me. I got to go toot my own horn. Yeah. And you've got to be able to put yourself out there day after day after day and show up consistently. Mike, I see you out there every single day. That's why you've got brand. You show up every day. You don't take any plays off and you just get after it. The ones that go out and try for two weeks and say, ah, it doesn't work. They're gone. It's the consistency, man. Consistency, persistency, and a little patience and and amazing things will happen. It's that simple. And I've found that it's really easy to just turn that into a process that doesn't take five or six or seven hours a day. Is that something you can help your guys with? Absolutely. You know, I think... I, I often run into the hurdle of getting advisors to the point where, okay, they now know they have to build a brand. They have to create content, all that stuff. And they're like, great. I don't have time to do all of this outsource. You know, that's the beautiful thing, Mike, today, you and I were talking about this offline. There's so many tools out there you can be using that are inexpensive yeah. that can be outsourced. You don't have to do all the work yourself, yeah. but you do need to be out there and you do. And, and this is the thing, Mike, this is the last piece. And this is really tied to the social media. I was just doing a clubhouse session today and I used the CV squared example and as I was doing this, some, one, of the, one of the guys on Clubhouse went to their LinkedIn profile and he's like, you know, what's so amazing. If they're generating business, I don't understand it because I look at their videos and their content and they're only getting like three likes and one comment. I said, you're missing the entire point. <laughs> That's exactly why you don't post. You are worried about the likes. You're worried about the comments. You know, all they care about is top of mind awareness. Yeah. The person that's going to buy that $200,000 opportunity they're going after right now, that guy never commented on anything once, Yeah, but he saw it. And that's yeah. all that matters. So good. Andy, this has been freaking phenomenal. I, uh, I really appreciate your time. Where can people find you? Absolutely, Mike. Um, definitely hit me up on LinkedIn. That's where I spend most of my time, Andy Neary. Um, AndyNeary.com. Go to check out my website. And I've got uh, my podcast, Broker brand, uh, broker brand, bullpen sessions. So I like you, Mike, I do a podcast more for legacy. Mm-hmm. I bring on current and former pro athletes and we talk about the mindset they use to get to the highest level in sports and how they're applying that mindset in chapter two of their life. Wow. So cool. Well, I really appreciate, as I said at the beginning, your energy, the way you show up um, and just sharing value with my Appreciate audience. it, man. This was great. Thank you for having me. Cool. Thank you, sir. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you'd take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.